0: Good morning. From Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 1, verses 1 through 9, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be the saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Christ Jesus, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Christ Jesus. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Christ Jesus our Lord.
1: And God, in this moment, we just hear those scriptures and we sing these songs and we just say, God, to you be all the praise and the glory. God, you are the one who sanctifies us. You are the one who sustains us. You are the one who brings us without blemish, That on the day you return to earth, God, we stand there forgiven, welcomed in your arms into your fellowship. God, be with us today. May we marinate in your presence. May we be transformed by your grace. In the powerful and holy name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Want to welcome you guys. If you're looking for a place to sit, uh, there's a number, there's a couple seats over here. Uh, looks like there's a row or two over here if you want to dive in. Uh, dakota has got a couple seats over here if you want to come in. All right. So my name's Tony. Want to welcome you to Wellspring. Awesome to have you guys here. Uh, I'm privileged to serve on the staff team here at Wellspring. Now, if you are a kid and want to hang out with other kids, uh, it looks like Miss Cassie is over there. Uh, and Miss Trish and Nellie are over there. Want to go hang out with them? Feel free. If you're an adult and you're with me, it's awesome to have you guys this morning. Uh, We're in our series uh, called Messy Church, Merciful God, and it's our journey through the book of 1 Corinthians. Now, there's a lot going on in 1 Corinthians, and one of the reasons we spent the last two weeks kind of scaffolding a little bit, we looked at the life of Paul, and we looked at Acts 18, which is kind of like a third-person account of Paul's time in Corinth, was that there's a lot going on here. And so, if you haven't, if you weren't here the last couple weeks, I would encourage you to go and take a look at those messages. I think they'll help you to understand as we enter into 1 Corinthians 1-1 this morning. Now... Just a little bit of background, right? Paul is a persecutor of the early church. He has this profound encounter with God. He then becomes an apostle, one sent by God into Asia. Uh, He makes his way into Greece. He spends 18 months in Corinth because God says, stay here, so he does. Now... He leaves Corinth and he'll write this letter that we're gonna look at today from Ephesus. But you have to imagine, has anyone here ever been a leader of people or a manager or a founder of something? Has anyone ever, raise your hand if you've led people before. There's a few tools in a tool tool chest of any leader when you're trying to lead a group of people. One, you're on the ground. You're trying to get a sense of how, what's actually going, right? So you're looking, you're talking to people, you're paying attention. Paul doesn't have that luxury. Right? He founded this church in Corinth and now he's in Ephesus. There's two other tools you can rely on as a leader. One is some form of gossip, right? People come to you and tell you what is going on that helps you understand what's going on here. And the two, the third one is someone brings questions to you. They're like, oh, so how do I do this? Right? And then you can use both the gossip if you're not on site, both the gossip, what, what you learn about what's going on really on the ground and the questions people bring to you in order to lead and guide. Both of those things are at play when we start First Corinthians. What we'll learn is that there's a group called Chloe's People. Now, this is, there's this woman named Chloe. She's in Corinth, and she sends a delegation of people to Paul in Ephesus and says, tell Paul the dirt on what is really going on. Right, so Chloe's people show up and that informs what Paul is going to use to write this letter. Two, there's a delegation from Corinth that is sent out. There's three people, uh, Stephanus, Fortunus, and Achaicus. And they come and they bring a letter to Paul with different questions. Like, hey, these are our questions. So what Paul does now from Ephesus is he writes a letter, both with the gossip and the questions and tries to say, all right guys, this is what I think you need to do. And that's what we enter into in 1 Corinthians. Now, it's important to realize, though, 1 Corinthians is probably not Paul's first letter to Corinth. Now, that might be confusing to us because we read the one there and we presume, oh, that's the first letter. But actually, when you get into 1 Corinthians 5.9, this is what it reads. This is 1 Corinthians 5.9. I wrote to you, I wrote to you, past tense, He's writing a previous letter. This is 1 Corinthians, right? I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. We'll get to the content of this when we get to chapter 5. For now, let's just say this. Paul has already written a letter. 1 Corinthians is actually at least the second letter in a correspondence with the Corinthians, right? And it's coming up because Chloe's people have arrived and these letters with these different questions have shown up on Paul's doorstep. And he's trying to figure out how do I help this church that I'm in charge of, that I founded, how do I help guide and direct them? Now, the reason, you might have noticed, we read the scripture right before, uh, at the end of that first set of worship. And the reason is, right, when that letter arrived at the doorstep of Corinth, it didn't arrive in everyone's, like, inbox. This wasn't a BCC'd email to a thousand people, right? It came to one person and that letter was read just as it was read this morning. So they're paying attention to all the clues. They're more of an oral culture, so they would, have, they would have been able to pick up a lot of the clues and hints, probably more than we will, but we'll get there. So each Sunday, we're going to read the scripture as we enter in, so that we kind of have that same experience. First Corinthians 1 Corinthians 1.1 begins this way. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. Okay, so in letters today, usually you put your name at the end, right? It's like you write an email and you write your name at the end. In first century ancient letters, they always put their name first. All right, this is who I am. Uh, Take a look. There you go. Now, what's interesting, though, is what Paul doesn't write. Now, when you introduce yourself, how do you introduce yourself? You probably say your name. Then you maybe say, you know, someone might ask you, what do you do? And you say an occupation. Maybe you say something else, right? But Paul doesn't say he's a tent maker. And Paul doesn't say, you know, he has like the first century equivalent of a, a PhD, right? He was discipled under Gamma Meal. He doesn't say that. He says, no, he says, I am an apostle. So the way he self-identifies from the very beginning with the Corinthians is according to his calling that God has given him. Right An apostle, in the most basic sense, is someone who is sent by God. Tim Mackey in the Bible Project says it's kind of like an official representative, right? So, Paul is sent by God as God's official representative to the people of Corinth to declare who Jesus is. Now, the apostolic gifting as it functions in the New Testament is kind of like a social, like an entrepreneurial person in Silicon Valley, right? They go in and they make things that didn't happen before, right? So, Paul goes into Corinth and he builds a church that didn't exist before, And this is what apostles do. This is what Paul does. Now, it's interesting. Paul also emphasizes, right, that he is called by what? Not his will, but the will of God, right? Paul didn't show up because there's these Isthmian games, right, which are like the Corinthian equivalent of the Olympics. He doesn't show up. He's like, I got to check him out, right? He goes because God has called him. This is going to be important because later on in the book, the Corinthians are going to really call into question both Paul's apostleship, his leadership, and they're going to say, man, I don't know if you're cut out for this. Right? And Paul is setting the stage that he is not showing up because it is his will, because it's God's. Now, after he mentions himself, he also mentions this guy named Sosthenes. Now, if you were with us last week, you might remember that name. So last week we were in Acts 18 the Jewish community there tries to get the governor to basically oppose Paul. The head of the Jewish community is a guy named Sosthenes. What happens after the governor says, yeah, I'm not gonna basically do what you tell me, Sosthenes gets beaten up by this crowd. Now, we don't know exactly how it works out, but some theologians think that this is the same guy. That Paul likely, after he was beaten up, was the one guy who cared for his wounds and then through that process became a Christian. We don't know. But it's one way of saying, hey, guys, this isn't just my opinion, right? Paul writing. But Sosthenes is here too, and he agrees with everything I'm saying. You have Sosthenes, you have Paul, and then he continues. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Jesus, Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call upon the, our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. Alright, so after he introduces himself, now he introduces his audience, right? Okay, this is to you, Corinthians, right? Corinth is located, if you weren't here last week, uh, on the Peloponnese, right? So there should be a map. Um, So it's right about 50 miles west of Athens. He's writing to the people in this place. Now he's also setting the stage for some of his arguments to come. So... Big story, right? If you weren't here last week, the basic idea of Corinth in 44 BC, about a little over a hundred years before Paul is on the scene, uh, the Corinthians are, the the city of Corinth is refounded by Caesar. And one of the ways uh, the Romans did this is they would take former slaves and slaves from Rome as a way to decrease decrease population density in Rome. And they would send them out to these new founded cities like Corinth. Now, Corinth is on this really important trade route. So what happens, right? These guys are coming, they're thinking, man, this is like the Roman dream, it's like the American dream. They're gonna come in there, they're gonna remake their lives from former slaves, they have this great opportunity, and what happens? They make a lot of money, it becomes this robust place, but this creates a culture, culture that is highly competitive, a culture that is highly individualistic. It's focused on self-promotion, and it emphasizes personal freedom and autonomy more than almost anything. In some ways, it kind of mirrors, actually, modern American culture. So what happens here is you have this group of people that want to put themselves, rather than God, kind of at the center of their spiritual life, at the center of the world, right? And then the consequence of that is then the spiritual life becomes more like a buffet, right? So when the self is at the center, then the spiritual life is a buffet, and you get to pick and choose, I like this, I don't like this, I'll do this, I won't do that. Right? So then that's how life is lived. It's sort of this buffet. It's a DIY spirituality. Right? Whereas when God is at the center, God is sort of like a chef who has this fixed menu. It's not a buffet. And he thoughtfully curates this four course meal. And he's like, man, this is healthy. And if you eat it, it's going to be delicious. It will both lead to your flourishing and your enjoyment. But the Corinthians, they're more into buffet. They want to do it their way. They want to pick up their, sort of do it their way. They want to do what they want. They want to believe what they think. And this is one of the reasons at the very beginning of the letter, Paul notice he doesn't say, hey, to your church, Corinthians. He says this, to God's church in Corinth. This isn't about them. This is God's church. And then he says what? He says this, and guess what? All these churches in Asia, in Greece, in Rome, guess what? All of them are under the Lord Jesus Christ. Guess what, Corinthians? You're not special. You might think you're super smart. You might think you're super wise. But guess what? We are all under the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he reminds them of their calling. Right? Just as Paul is called to be an apostle, they are called to be saints. Now, sometimes when we think of saint, we think of like spiritual superhero that's so cool they get like a stained glass window in their honor, right? This word saint is actually the word holy in Greek. It's agios, right? Holy. And Paul's actually not saying, hey, get a stained glass window in your honor. He's saying, he's riffing off the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. In the book of Leviticus, the Israelites, God's people are supposed to be holy as God is holy, he's saying, just as the Israelites are called to be holy, so church, you are meant to be holy. Right? Israel is meant to be a holy nation. It's like, you guys should be holy too, right? That's what a church is. Church in Greek is ekklesia, the ones who are called out. Called out from the normal rhythms of Corinthian life to be God's people in this place. You guys are meant to be holy, Paul says. And yet, As we'll find out, the Corinthians are getting drunk at communion. There's a Corinthian person who's sleeping with an in-law. They are full of division and tension. They are at each other's throats, called to be holy and yet clearly a mess. So Paul reminds them of their calling, and in the exact same breath, he also says this, that they are sanctified by Jesus. Now, this word sanctified is actually has the same root as holy, agios. So, how are they made holy? By Jesus. Called to be holy and yet made holy by Jesus. From the mess therein, how do they change? Not by their own power and strength, but by the power and grace of God. I thought I might just do a quick doodle, just to kind of tease this out visually. So, if you imagine, right, the Corinthians are this, they are a mess. (laughs) Right, they're doing all kinds of stuff. They are a messy church. They do not have it all figured out. And yet, right, they are called to be holy. Right, this is the cross. Holiness is not necessarily an abstract virtue Holiness is Christ-likeness. It's being shaped in the image of Jesus, which is defined by the way of the cross. And the question is, how do you get from a mess to a holy one? Right? Often in our language, and our world, we think, oh, we try harder. Right? That's not what Paul says from the very beginning of how does the Corinthians get from their mess to the holiness that they're called to? Right? By the power of God. Right? God is the one who takes them from their mess to this place of holiness. He is the one who makes holy. God is the one right, who makes them holy. And so in verse 3, then Paul prays for them that the grace, the transforming grace and power of God would be with them. That the peace of God would be with them that they wouldn't be sort of anxiously wondering whether they're ever gonna be made holy, but they could trust in the grace and power of God to get them there, right? And then Paul continues in verses four through nine. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, right? Even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end. Guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, in ancient letters, Paul has done two basic things that are required. He's introduced himself. And then he's introduced the audience to whom he is writing. This third part is called the exordium. There's two points to this part. One, you try and like kind of get in with your audience. You try and say something to kind of butter them up, get them like feeling like you're on their side. And then two, you start dropping hints at the, the, like, the major points you are going to raise in your letter. Okay? Those are the two things Paul is trying to do right here. So the first thing is he thanks them, right? Thank you guys, right? This is his way of them being like, yeah, you know, he likes me. But I want to create a contrast here. I want you to read to, this is how Paul thanks the Romans. I thank my God through Christ Jesus for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Man, you guys are so faithful. I'm hearing rumors of your faith all over the place. So grateful. So grateful. This is how he thanks the Philippians. He thanks them for their partnership in the gospel. Man, you guys are so helpful to me. Do you remember how he thanks the Corinthians? I thank you guys for all the good things God has given you. (laughs) It's kind of like you have a kid, a small child, and you go up to them on their birthday and you're like, you know, I thank you so much for how your parents got you all these presents for how your parents made you this cake, for how your parents threw this party and invited all your friends. I'm so grateful for you. (laughs) And what Paul is doing is hinting at, hey guys, you're not the center of this. God is. Paul is reminding them, even in this thankfulness part, hey guys, it's not about you. It's about God. Right? And in case I didn't pick it up, in verses 8 and 9, Paul says, hey, guess what? And Jesus is the one who will sustain them to the end and bring them to the day of Jesus Christ guiltless. Right? Jesus is the one who's going to bring them from their current mess to holiness. And guess what? That process can take a long time. And so guess what? Before they're going to give up, he's like, don't worry. God will sustain you. He will. If you give yourself to him, he will help you endure that process. He will sustain you. And he's also reminding them, right? Because they're a little stuck in their present mess. He's trying to lift their head up and saying, guess what? Remember guys, Jesus is going to come back. It's not just about navigating your current mess. Jesus is going to come back. And guess what? When he comes back, he's going to establish his kingdom on earth. And there's going to be a judgment. And at that point, you want to be someone who is guiltless. Jesus is the one who's going to sanctify, sustain, and make you guiltless. Make you blameless. Make sure to trust in him. It's not about you, it's about God. And if you give yourself to him, he will bring you to the final day of God's coming and make you guiltless. And then verse nine, Paul says, God is faithful. He's faithful to what, right? To sanctify, sustain and forgive and make guiltless. And then he ends on this remark of, and guess what? He calls again. Just as he called Paul, just as he calls the Corinthians, he calls all of us, right, to what? Into the fellowship of his son. And it's in the fellowship of his son, in the presence of Jesus and Jesus' people, right, that we are sanctified, sustained, and made guiltless. Now, that's how Paul introduces his letter to the Corinthians. I think there's two main things I wanna highlight for us this morning, because I think this really touches on the ground in a few different ways, two in particular. One, I just want to emphasize, as Paul does, right, that God is the one who calls. You see it in this text three times, the word kaleo, to call, right? Paul is called to be an apostle, the Corinthians are called to be saints, and they're called into the fellowship of the Son. First, I just want to emphasize, right, we are called to use our gifts, Right? Just as Paul is called to be as an apostle, right? he's gifted with the apostolic gift and sent into the world, guess what? The Corinthians are also given gifts by the grace of God, speech and knowledge. And guess what? They're meant to use that in the community of God. But the thing is, right? It's easy to stand on the sidelines in the church, isn't it? Even though God gives us gifts, it's easy, kind of like the Corinthians, to use it for our own bolstering of our own resume self, rather than investing it in the kingdom of God. I think one of the cool things that I see in God's calling, particularly as it relates to gifts, I think some of us think, well, I don't know if I can contribute. I, I don't really know enough. I'm not really holy enough. My life is a mess. If I was like Paul, sure, I'd use my gift. But notice in this text, both the Corinthians and Paul are called to use their gifts. So no matter where you're at on the journey from mess to holiness, God gives us gifts and invites us to use them. Two, God calls the Corinthians to be holy. calls them to be set apart, to not just be like the Corinthians in Corinth, right? They are supposed to be the church in Corinth, not just a gathering of Corinthians. They're supposed to be different from the people they're around. But we all know this is easier said than done, right? I think there's three things that really undermine our holiness. One is sin, right? Sin really flows from when we put us ourselves at the center rather than God. Think about the Garden of Eden. God says, don't eat from this tree. Ah, that tree, ah, the fruit looks really good. It's pleasing to the eye. I bet it'll make me wise. I bet it's tasty. I think I know better than God. Eat the the sin, or eat the apple. Well, it's not really an apple. That's just from Milton. But anyway, uh, eat the fruit, and then sin enters in the world. One of the ways that we undermine God's work of sanctifying, making us holy, is when we take up the reins. We put ourselves at the center and then sin enters in. Two, brokenness. Our patterns of relational brokenness really undermine holiness because we start to look to other people rather than God for our worth. We start to think, oh, well, this person wants me to do that. I should probably do that versus allowing God to shape and guide us. We start to look at other people because we want them to value us. We want them to think we're good. We want them to think we're worthwhile. So rather than listening to the voice of God, the good, good father that we sung about earlier, we start to listen to other people and these patterns of brokenness undermine God's holiness in our life. Three, I think a desire for conformity with the culture around us really undermines God's holiness in our life. We start to care more about looking like our secular neighbor than we do about the crucified Messiah that we follow. We want our lives to look like the person we live next to, our boss that we admire, this could be money, status, power, promotion, whatever. But we care more about conforming to the people around us than conforming to the image of Jesus. We are called to be holy, and yet patterns of sin and brokenness and conformity undermine that so often. Lastly, we are called into fellowship with Jesus. And this is really important. This word is koinonia, and koinonia has two essential elements that cannot be disconnected. Okay, you can understand fellowship of his son as What is the fellowship of God's people, right? God brings together a church, a community, and we are connected and invited and called into that community of people that are defined by the Son. That's a communal perspective of God connects us to one another. And secondly, the koinonia called into the fellowship of His Son is relationship with Jesus. To be in Christ means to be connected to God's people and Jesus himself. And you cannot disconnect them in a New Testament perspective. Does that make sense? You cannot disconnect. When we're called into fellowship, this is a relational, communal, hey, Christian to Christian thing and a vertical element of us being connected to Jesus. And when Jesus calls us to himself, he calls us to one another. Those cannot be separated. God calls us to use our gifts. God calls us to be holy and he calls us into fellowship, both with one another and with Jesus. And yet, in our cultural moment, there's a lot of things that war at us in trying to lean into these callings. And I guess I would just invite you, as I share those three or four different callings, which one stands out to you? Which one do you sense in this moment God calling you to pay attention to? Do you find yourself standing on the sidelines, not using and investing the gifts you have into God's kingdom? Do you find patterns of sin and brokenness and conformity undermining God's call to holiness in your life? Do you find you just want to do it your own way and so God's call into the community of God's people is sort of trampled? Or is it the busyness and distraction of everyday life that undermines your connection to Jesus himself? Those are different callings that Paul talks about, but more and more important today, I would say, is what is God's call to you, his invitation to you this morning to say, hey, underline, highlight this. Pay attention to it. Because the truth is the Corinthians were tempted to dismiss the calling of God and in so they end up in this mess. Let's avoid that by listening to the call and invitation to God by God this morning, to us personally. The second thing I want to highlight this morning, God calls and then secondly as we enter verse 9, what does Paul say? God is faithful. That in the end, the spiritual life isn't really centered in us, but God's faithfulness. But God is the one who sanctifies us. Not you, not me. We don't make ourselves holy, God does. As I looked over the last, last week, I was thinking a lot about this. And two things really stood out to me as I looked back on basically the last 20 years of my life. The first thing was this. I have changed so much. Like, it's unbelievable. Like, I was definitely graduated high school, least likely to ever be a pastor. (laughs) Like, seriously. Um, And yet, the second thing, like, changed so much. And I look back on that change and all that's transpired, and I was like, man, not only did I change so much, but I did so little. Like, in the end... I feel like all I did was say, all right, Jesus, I am a broken mess. Help me. I have no idea what I am doing. I just need your grace and mercy to sanctify me. God is the one who sanctifies us, but he does invite us to open our arms and let go and let him do the heavy lifting. Two, God is the one in the process of making holy that sustains us. And this is really important because when you actually start to lean into patterns of sin and brokenness and conformity in your life, what you'll realize really quickly is that those roots go really deep And we live in this really quick fix culture where we just assume, hey, if I pray this prayer, if I I read this one study, if I do this, everything will change and be better. And if it's not, God didn't show up. But that's not the way the spiritual life works. God will sustain us. And Paul is saying, don't give up. If the change doesn't happen as fast as you want, don't give up. If that pattern of sin, you're just digging at it and digging at it and digging at it, it doesn't seem to get uprooted, don't give up. God will sustain you. This word sustain is about giving you inner strength. He will give you what you need internally so that you can live faithfully through the process. God is the one who sanctifies. God is the one who sustains. And lastly, when Jesus comes again, he will make you and I blameless. Not because of anything we did, but because of his faithfulness, that one day we will make it here. This isn't a never arrive moment. One day we will, but it's not been because we somehow tried hard enough. It's because God is going to return and make all things new, including us. The thing that's pretty crazy about how Paul paints the faithfulness of God is literally the Corinthians are getting drunk at communion, sleeping with in-laws, and ripe with division. And yet to them, he says, God is faithful. He will take you from your present mess and he will make you all things new just as he will for all creation when he comes again. Um, I want to invite the worship team up. um, And on the end, I just want to end on a little story. Two weeks ago, uh, my wife and I were having lunch and she shared a story that I thought really captured something about God. She said this, she said, she told me how a parent shared with her that while the parent was trying to get their preschooler in the car, at school, uh, or trying to get her in the car, right, the child asked her, is Miss Jeannie, my, my wife Jeannie is leading the preschool at Wellspring, right, is Miss Jeannie already at the school waiting for me, bent down, with her arms open, And a smile. Right? And it was this picture, this child's picture of what was waiting for them when they arrived at the preschool. And when Jeannie shared this picture, it was like, I I was just stunned by how I think this is how God waits for us this morning. But he gets down on our level. And you think about God in heaven, what does he do? He takes on human flesh in the person of Jesus. He moves into the neighborhood. God comes down on our level. And even though we have tons of mess in our lives, he opens arms to us, his arms to us. And he smiles at us, right? Because he actually likes us. He doesn't just tolerate us, he actually likes us. And this morning, right, he says, come to me. On our level, with arms open wide, smiling, and he invites us to himself because he is faithful. And he calls you and me into his presence, saying, Hey guys, don't make yourselves the center of the world. Allow him to be, and through that, he will sanctify, sustain, and redeem us. Holy Spirit, we invite you into this place that we might run into your arms. We are a broken people but you are a holy God. We are messy, but God, you are merciful. This morning, we ask that you would speak to us, that we would know the depth of your love for us. We would receive your forgiveness. In the school of your presence, we ask that you would sanctify us. In the comfort of your presence, we ask that you would sustain us. That one day we might be without blemish in your presence as you redeem all things. Come Holy Spirit, come Lord Jesus. Father, welcome us.